Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope everything is okay with you and yours wherever you are. It's all right here. I mean, it's fine. I'm just back in from, well, something terrible, unfortunately. A run. Within the last hour, I have returned from running. With my own feet my own legs, going down the road, wishing I'd never started, getting too far away to give up, thinking about walking the rest of the way to the end point and not doing it and driving on, going through the pain barrier. No, I didn't do any of that. I just kind of shuffled along like an old bastard, hating every stride of my run. But hopefully, you know, I might get some benefit out of it somewhere down the line. I don't know where that might be. Maybe at five aside tomorrow, I'll have an extra zip of pace and, well, who am I kidding? I never had any pace in my life. Anyway, it's the first, no, second week now into off-season. Not a great deal has been happening in terms of transfers and stuff like that. Things may pick up next week when the, um, when the window actually opens. So who knows what might be happening. There's been some some talk of uh, some players coming in, a little bit about players going out, but so far it's been dead quiet. It's been dead quiet, really. And that's that's only to be expected. There's a few uh, other bits and pieces going on, of course. Uh, Bakayo Saka going to the European Championships with England. Ideally, he would have had a summer off, a summer of rest, but the benefit to him as a, a player to go away on an international tournament is something that we hopefully will benefit from, even if it is perhaps going to cause us a little bit of a short-term problem at the start of the season if he needs some extended summer holidays. But that will depend, I suppose, on on how far England get, how much more holidays he might need. Either way, I think it's fair to say he is probably going to miss the very start of the season if we're sensible. Real Madrid have appointed a new manager, Carlo Ancelotti, who may or may not want Martin Odegaard next season at all. It all depends. Maybe he will want him and Real Madrid will still sell, but at least the fact they've put somebody in place means that we might get some clarity on that because that is certainly an issue that we need to to sort out. If he's a player Mikel Arteta wants, we have to know sooner rather than later if it's realistic that we're going to get him. If not, we've got to go in a in a different direction. But look, uh, there's going to be a load of stuff that we can talk about when it comes to transfers over the course of the summer. And on today's show, we are going to be talking about squad depth and all of the things that Mikel Arteta and Edu and everyone else who's involved in transfers this summer at Arsenal uh, are going to have to do to make this a successful summer. Will they be able to do it all? We're going to go through everything now in a moment. I suppose the other thing to mention is that uh, this week, Nicholas Bentner announced his retirement. He did appear on the Arscast uh, earlier this year. Was it earlier this year? or No, it was last year, I think. Uh, yeah, when he brought out his book, um, we did an interview with Nicholas Penner, which was well worth a listen, based around the book uh, that he had coming out. Of course, there was a, a character on the Arscast for many years, loosely, very loosely, obviously based uh, on him, called Mick Bentner, the greatest striker that ever lived. I mean, it wasn't that subtle. Anyway, uh, good luck to Nicholas Bentner in his future endeavours. He's looking to stay in the game and stay in football. He's doing his coaching badges. So who knows where we might see him next, where he might appear on the sidelines. If it doesn't work out for Mikel Arteta, there's another club legend out there looking for a job, guys. So uh, if you're listening, Josh, Vinay, etc., 
just, you know, have a good think about that one. Right, let's get on with the show. And talking to me about the squad this summer and what I just said literally two minutes ago, I'm sure you remember. It's Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, People um, can and I'm sure have read your article on the main site and it was entitled Squad Depth. And boy, oh boy, did Arsenal have squad depth last season. We ended the season with a squad of 25. But as late as January, we had a 32-man squad. When you think about the players that left in January, Mustafi, Socrates, Ozil, Kalasinac, Joe Willock left on loan, Ainsley Maitland-Niles left on loan. Then you add the loan players like Nduzi, Torreira, Mavropanos, Saliba. That's a, that's a lot of squads. Baby got squad, as they say. So, um, you know, one of the first things I suppose we have to talk about is the fact that next season with 38 league games and, you know, hopefully quite a few more cup games, um, that's where we're going to get our extra next season. Um, Arsenal are going to have to reduce the size of that squad fairly significantly. Yeah, the squad has to be smaller, much smaller. If it's not smaller, then we're going to end up with a lot of players that we're paying a lot of money to who are not playing a lot of football. Um, Mm. You mentioned I'd written the article. I thought it'd be interesting to have a look. We've not experienced a season without Europe in our recent history. So I thought it would be interesting to maybe look and contrast and compare to teams who have. uh, The the teams that finished around us this season, West Ham, Everton, Leeds, Villa mm. and the teams that have maybe had good season in the past when they've not had European football and we've talked about that before that they can have that sort of steady 11 Chelsea when they won the league in, in 2017 and Leicester the year before that Liverpool and, a few years previously as well yeah, which Liverpool I think are probably more won the title yeah there's sort of I, I, I'm, look I know we've got a, a gap to make up on those teams but I just think in, in terms of parallels and uh, you know the this what's expected from the various clubs. I think Liverpool and Chelsea are more um, along the lines of what we uh, can look at, I think, you know? Yeah, and not to, str- to stress as well, mm. by the way, that this does not mean we think that Arsenal might go and win the league just because they don't have European yeah, exactly. football next season. We're or, not saying Or even that. come close to it. We're, we're not saying um, But obviously those are top teams top clubs, clubs that consider themselves, you know, the the size of club that we consider ourselves. And yeah, you're looking at 15 or 16 or 17 players as a real core of the squad. I think even when you get to sort of towards 17, 18, you're really starting to push that upper boundary. So I did look through and we had 21 outfield players make five or more starts in the Premier League last season Mm. Everton Leeds were 15 Aston Villa 16 that Chelsea team that won the league under Antonio Conte 15 and even Liverpool was was quite a few more under Brendan Rodgers back then but that was 18 still three players less than we had in 2020-21 so what does that suggest to you? uh, two, Two or three things I think it suggests firstly that they had a settled team, which I don't think Arsenal have, that they <clears throat> stumbled across or decided on. At some point, they decided this is our first eleven, and more or less, maybe one or two changes week to week, but that was pretty much the eleven. I mean, Leicester are obviously the extreme example of that. But Chelsea, when Conte was in charge, maybe you can change one or two players, but that season you could have named the entire eleven mm. pretty much every single week. I think it means, you know, it's a, it's a direct consequence of not needing to rotate as much because you don't have the extra games. It's also a consequence of not getting injuries because you don't have all these midweek fixtures that if there are little niggles, people have an extra few days to recover or yeah. you maybe, they, maybe they miss one game, but you don't push them through an extra game or an extra game because you're in the group stages of something or because you're in the knockout rounds of something in the in Europa League or the Champions League. There's just that extra break. I mean, we look at Kieran Tierney this season and I think we have to plan. We've talked, you know, and we will talk about a backup left back and that needing to be something that Arsenal look at this season. 
but Kieran Tierney also now will have the chance to have a week off between games, which yeah. certainly after Kalasnach left was not something that was open as an option to him, to Mikel Arteta last season. And he wanted to play every single game. We know that Kieran Tierney is that kind of guy. Who knows how many Premier League games we can get out of him if he doesn't have to play midweek ever. And Granit Xhaka is a guy that's almost never been injured. Aubameyang is a player that's almost never had injuries. And this season, they both had injuries. And they are... It's understandable. They're Mm. guys that play constantly if they're fit. They're on the team sheet. And this was the most condensed season we'll probably ever experience to then go into next season and there's a little bit more time between games and a lot more time when you take out the Europa League matches, there is absolutely no way. If Arsenal use 20 or 21 players this season, outfield players with five Premier League starts each, it means that Arsenal have no idea what the first 11 (laughs) should be and we're chopping and changing every week because we're looking for some sort of formula, not because we've got 20 really good players. So do you think that is something which is going to to be part of Mikel Arteta's plan when he sits down with Edu and Richard Garlick? And I'm sure these plans are, I mean, they've got to be in place right now as we speak because it's June and the transfer window is opening next week and all of a sudden players will be back for pre-season. Then we're going on pre-season trips. Um, we just announced that we're going to Florida. So, you know, th- there's all these things to, to, to get in place as quickly as we can get them in place. So that has to be something that he's thinking about. What is the core, not just of his squad, but what is the core of his team? And where is he going to add players around that? And how then do we make space in the squad for players who just aren't going to play. So let's, a wild, not really a wild example, but someone like Reese Nelson, who, despite the fact we used more outfield players than anybody else last season, got around 45 minutes of Premier League football. If we're using a smaller squad with some new players, some hopefully better players, his chances of playing any football next season for Arsenal are extremely slim beyond maybe some League Cup games or whatever it might be. So does that kind of make it easy or easier for the club to make decisions on certain players when they, you know, if they did some kind of exercise like proximity to a first team place and they did it in terms of, you know, yards or miles and Reese Nelson is, you know, a good kilometre and a half away from it, whereas Thomas Partey is three and a half centimetres. That's a terrible analogy, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you also started with yards and miles and yeah, then switched and to kilometres. Sorry, well, I'm getting my metric and imperial mixed up here. That's just a sign of an old guy, I guess. Uh, but look, we won't quibble over the farthings and shillings. Um but you you get my point. Um, is that a way for them to really make decisions about certain players? You'd hope so. I, I mean, Reese Nelson, I think Reese Nelson and Eddie and Ketia are two players that I look at the second half of the season. I look at, obviously, Emil Smith-Rowe had emerged. Pepe would, had improved his form, I think it's fair to say, in the, mm. the back end of the season. Willian had been dropped completely and was barely playing the second half of the season. And Nelson and Nketiah still won't get in any games. Uh, Nketiah especially yeah. is now in a position where uh, Balogun signed a new contract and that means something for his future at Arsenal as well. So I, Nelson and Nketiah, I think for me, are the two easiest players to make decisions on that were at the club last season. I think the others and maybe Mavropanos and Gunduzi, who are both out on loan mm. and both... I don't think there's any interest in giving a new contract to Gunduzi. One year left to go. It's obviously being linked with a move back to France already. So I think that one's fairly straightforward. And Mavropanos, well, we've already got four centre-backs. We're talking about if Saliba is going to be a part of the squad. We're talking about maybe they're going to sign another centre-back. So Mavropanos is another one that that decision sort of makes itself I think uh, the what, what's your reading on sorry just, just a quick call what's your reading on on him and, and how he's performed in, in the Bundesliga during his loan spell because he seems to have done pretty well yeah Stuttgart came up and they they finished solidly in mid-table with a few better results than they could have been in Europe and he's had a really good season in a, a good team a team that plays quite adventurous football I would say playing quite an interesting role as well as a 
they sort of play a back three and he's the right centre-back, but the right wing-back is basically a striker who just bombs on. So Mavropanos kind of has to fill in that gap at right-back and, and protect that side of the pitch when, when the right wing-back goes forward. He's had a really good season. Uh, I don't think he's had a season where you'd say, this guy, we have to make space for him to come back and play for Arsenal. Yeah. And, if they can, if that's to send him back out on loan or if they can make some money off him this summer. I think we all know, we've all seen the, the financial situation of the club isn't great, especially after a year without people in the stadium. Any sort of, yeah, a few million that we can pick up here or there, and I think we might see a few transfers like that, it's all going to add to the pot in the end and then hopefully we can make some better use of it. When we've already got Holding and we've got Pablo Marie and Gabriel and Callum Chambers and William Saliba, I just don't see any way that there's a route for Mavropanos to come back and have any sort of impact, mm. especially without any European games. All right, we'll come to Saliba because I think that's an interesting one. But let's have a look at some of the positions. And, you know, in a summer where there is a lot to do, an awful lot to do, um, the goalkeeping situation is one which requires some work or maybe... Uh, a lot of work, depending on what happens with Bernd Leno. And it does seem from all the bits and pieces that are going around, there's, there's plenty of smoke and, you know, there's no smoke without fire. He hasn't been particularly, uh, I won't say he was non-committal, but he was leaving all the doors open, wasn't he, when he spoke towards the end of the season about what happens next. Like, he might stay with Arsenal, he might go somewhere else for another adventure. You know, he's open to everything, he said. So, you know, I think it makes it um, not rel uh, abundantly clear, but certainly leaves it open to interpretation that he would be open to a, a move away. So, A, we need a backup goalkeeper, a number two. It could be Matt Ryan. It depends on what we're doing in terms of homegrown players. That is a consideration. The links that we've got with the... Uh, the goalkeeper from, from Ajax. Um, that seems like he's a good keeper. I like him. He, he looks a really interesting player, but he has this, you know, slight issue of a drugs ban, uh, which has gone to the Court of Arbitration for Sport this year. He may be available sooner. He may be available really cheap. He may have a ban until next year. That feels like a particularly complicated solution to a problem in which we already have a lot to do uh, this this summer. Now, if you're going to go out and get a number one goalkeeper who can't maybe play for you until February of next year, you got to wonder about that. Yeah, I, I find that a really interesting link. If he's available really cheaply, then... I, you know, it's not an injury concern either. It's not something that mm. there might be a relapse. I, I would be really, really tempted to do that because I think he's got one year left on his Ajax contract. He's banned until, is it February yeah. of next year as things stand? But he looks like a really good goalkeeper. And if we can sign him, rumours for sort of seven, eight million, and I saw something as low as two million possibly mm. if, if his ban's upheld. And I, I think that's a sort of the sort of market inefficiency that Arsenal haven't been good enough at exploiting. Um, I also think if you can get a, a prospective first choice goalkeeper that cheaply, and we talk about Leno and his future, and the question with him is if you sell him, do you wait one more year and he's only got one year left on his contract? But if you sign his replacement for sort of seven or eight million, then you've probably saved what you would lose on waiting a year to sell Leno on signing yeah. the replacement already, if that makes sense, for, for a cheaper. I, I do think Onana is a, looks like a really good goalkeeper yeah. and I would be quite excited by that. And I don't mind the idea too much of us waiting an extra year, maybe Burnt Leno sold next summer instead. Yeah, well, that's, and, that's the yeah, thing, isn't it? Like I, Leno would yeah. have to stay. Yeah, otherwise we'll be signing, um, well, I guess two goalkeepers and and a banned goalkeeper on top if we were to sell Burnt Leno. We Unless anyone yeah. wants to go into next season with Runison as the as the backup goalkeeper again. Yeah, no, I don't think anyone does. So, yeah, that, that's <laughs> going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I just wonder if, you know, such strong interest in a player is based on um, some 
knowledge that Leno might be going somewhere else. Uh, but I do think, yeah. you know, if, if, if Onana can't play until February and you keep Leno and you can bring this guy back in and look after a year out of the game, he's not just going to come back in and play if you can bring him in. I mean, he's not even allowed to train with Ajax. He's banned from all football activity. So I do wonder if that will have any impact on a, on a transfer. But he can't train with Ajax. He can't even go to the training ground or to the stadium. He has to work on his own. So he would need some time to, to get used to stuff again, wouldn't he? So that might make think, some sense. If, like, if you bring him in in February and, and Leno stays till the end of the season and you have a natural handover the following summer. Yeah, and then and then you do something like like the Matt Ryan loan, like you, mm. loan, you loan somebody else either for the whole season or in, just until January in case Leno gets injured. Mm. And I could see the club doing something like that. That would speak to some some long term planning or strategy anyway. Even if it is like it sounds completely bizarre that we're going after a goalkeeper with with a drugs ban. Um, but, you know, this is a club that has signed players wearing a knee brace. We've signed players who've arrived with a broken back. So You, you should know. save these for a bizarre Arsenal signings 11 blog when things are running thing at some point yeah. during the summer, I think. but should do that. Um, yeah, I think, and we talked about Leno as well, and the, he's coming up to the two-year mark, or he's at the two-year mark remaining on his contract now, which means you do now have to decide if he's going to be your long-term goalkeeper or not. Mm. It, it doesn't mean you have to sell him necessarily this summer. I, I can definitely see a world, and I think it's it would be sensible going forward to, to sign Anana, keep Leno for the season and then sell him next summer. And the way that the finances are around Europe for everybody, but yeah. especially outside of the Premier League, with the wages that Burnt Leno has, I don't see if Arsenal could find a buyer for him this summer anyway. Yeah, I mean, there may be more opportunities next year as well when things do get a bit back to normal and when maybe he is within the price range of clubs who... Um, you know, because he's got a year left on his contract, you have to take that into account when you're selling a player as well. So it's not ideal, but like you say, if you can get his replacement for a completely knockdown price, um, then it then it does make perhaps a bit of sense to to hang on till till the final year. When ideally you would you would want to move him on. Um, right back, right back. We have three right backs in Hector <laughs> Bellerin. Callum Chambers and Cedric Suarez. Uh, it feels like a position of priority, but of course it will depend entirely on what we do with Bellerin, what we do with Cedric, I think, to an extent. And the Chambers thing has become a little more clear to me in the last while. Uh, James in The Athletic is reporting that Arsenal have an option for another year on Callum Chambers' contract, which if they exercise that option, take some of the pressure off making a decision on him. Yeah, it means that that sort of, that can is kicked down the road a little bit yeah. and we don't have to decide to sell him this summer or, or give him a new contract, which which is very, very good news, I think, considering the amount that it already is to do this summer. It gives a little bit of a buffer and anything on any decisions that we have to make any sort of buffer I think is a, a huge huge advantage mm. anything extra that we don't have to decide basically is really really important I I don't know about you I find it hard to see where Hector Bering goes but I also can't see him staying yeah that's true I mean I you know there was talk of relatively big money last summer and a club like PSG being interested. I don't see after the season that he's had and the way that his Arsenal career has kind of sadly fizzled out in a way um, to, a, I think, a pretty unsatisfactory end on the pitch anyway, for, you know, in terms of what we all expected from him. It's hard to know who is going to splash that cash. There were some stories, weren't there, that, like, he doesn't want to sign for another Premier League club. Um, so his options are on the continent, he might want to go back to Spain. There's talk of Real Betis. They've just moved the guy, what's his name, Emerson? Back to Barcelona. Ba back to Barcelona. They had him on loan. I wouldn't be at all surprised if someone like Bellerin left on loan because right now it feels like it might be the only way 
that a, that a move can happen. It would at least mean significant wages are off of the wage bill, but it would be mm. really, it would be disappointing to, if we're going to move Bellerin on, I don't think many people will be too bothered if we moved Cedric on, and I imagine if there's anyone that would entertain signing Cedric, then the club would try and sell Cedric now, and by the end of the season he was our third choice right back. If Bellerin moves on, you'd suspect that we would try and sign a new first choice right back. Yeah. But that becomes a lot more difficult when you're trying to do it, having not actually collected any money for for Bellerin's exit, and maybe Cedric is still hanging around the club as well. That's, and like you yeah. say, without the European fixtures, that means what whatever it is that we're paying Cedric, then he's going to be sat there at the club as the third choice right back. I mean, how many minutes can a third choice right back realistically expect next season? We're going mm-hmm. to go from playing sort of fifty five games a season right down to 45 if that yeah you know it could be it could be 43 it could be 44 it could be 40 if things go really badly in the the two cup competitions but even if we go on a cup run in one of them we're looking at sort of 44 45 games and what did we play in the Europa League this year 12 games in the Europa League I think this uh, this Mm. season so I really I do you do wonder what has to happen for the next thing to happen like will they not sign a right back until Bellerin and Cedric are definitely gone or at least one of them is definitely gone yeah and it does obviously throw up a an issue I, I'm sure they would love to get rid of Bellerin and Cedric this summer sign a right back and have Chambers as the backup how realistic that is I I'm not really sure at the moment yeah it is a weird one as well because if you sign a right back you 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 well, not that you have a strong hand anyway in this particular market, but like whatever little bit of strength you have when it comes to selling a player like Bellerin, I don't think Cedric it, it really applies to him. I think Cedric is one of those that you offer, like he would be offered to any potential interested club. You know, it would be made clear to every club in Europe that this guy is available uh, for transfer for whatever fee. You know, and that fee would be open to negotiation. I think with Bellerin, there is some sense that there is residual value based on his profile and what have you. So you're looking to maximize that as much as possible. But if you sign a player first, then, you know, it becomes more difficult to, to, to get as much as you might like for a player like Bellerin. Do you think Cedric might want to leave Arsenal. I, I think I know the, the the common train of thought. Obviously, is that he he came to Arsenal knowing this was a nice big contract mm. for a few seasons, and he's towards the end of his career or getting there. Do you think that there's a chance that not being in the Euro squad, he was in the Portugal squad in March, mm. and he's now obviously not going to the Euros? There's a World Cup in eighteen months. Do you think there's <laughs> a scenario where he pushes for a move because I don't know if I see that I don't know if I see that exactly but I do see a player who's at a club who you know he's looked around the dressing room and seen that some of his former teammates even if they weren't teammates for too long were incentivized to leave um so maybe that would be part of the discussion um you know you you could it, I don't understand any footballer who wants to stay at a club where they're not going to play, where they don't have the trust of the manager, you know, I don't personally understand it, but I think there are countless examples of players who, you know, they get to a certain point in their career and it doesn't bother them one way or the other, whether they're playing from one week to the next. Because they've, they're at an age where oh, I've played a lot. My body hurts. I'm getting nice money here. Come to the training ground. It's nice. If I'm needed, great. If I'm not, well, I'll sit in the bench, still get my money, you know. And that's maybe sounds cynical. And I'm not saying that's who Cedric is. I would hope that any player to whom it becomes apparent your playing time is going to be severely limited would say to their agent and to the club, look, I want to go somewhere else. I want to play. I want to play every week. You know, maybe he is one of those guys for whom football is literally his passion. And, you know, he's not going to be happy to spend the next two, three years just sitting around not playing. So that is that is where I hope his mindset is, you know, because I do, I agree with you. I think Arsenal would be happy to move him on. 
So we'll wait and see. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and as I say, it's just it's as lo- the longer the summer goes on, and there's not a buyer for Bellerin. It's a bit of a roadblock mm. to us signing a, a new first choice right back, and I think it's very clear that the club does want to sign a new yeah. first choice right back. Lots of talk that the club also want to sign a right-sided centre-half. Um, I know you mentioned Callum Chambers, who is, I suppose, in the mix for the central defensive positions, along with Rob Holding, Gabriel, uh, Pablo Marie, and William Saliba. Um, it's hard to speculate. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen with Saliba. He's done very well in France. Um is uh, nominated for one of the defenders of the season there, I think, in their end-of-season awards. Um, So he's done as well as you would have liked him to do. Yet, it's hard not to to think about him and not see a a big question mark over his Arsenal future still, isn't it? It is. Mikel Arteta has been very non-committal whenever he's spoken and we've been asked about William Saliba coming back and yeah, sure, he'll have pre-season with us and we'll have a look at him then um, and it's all a little bit like, well, have you not been looking at him while he's been playing first-team football? Well, in fairness, they did say that. He did say that they've been watching him and they've been talking to him and the loan manager, Ben Napper, has been providing reports and um, all that kind of stuff. But, so. but what can we learn from him from pre-season training that we can't learn from watching him play every week? Like, when we signed Gabriel last summer, we signed him based on his performances in league and we didn't decide we'd better see him in training first. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I think this is a really weird... Maybe there's something about attitude. Maybe the, I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But you're right. Yeah, sure. What we should be basing um, his Arsenal future on is what he did for for Nice, not what he's going to do in preseason playing in Florida against whoever the fuck ever we're playing over there. <laughs> I think it's Inter Milan is one of them. I can't remember. But, um, you know, in glorified friendly games for a cup that nobody cares about. That's not how you view a player. But I suppose you can, in preseason, look at how hard a player is training, look at their attitude, look at their commitment, look at their fitness. You know, are there elements to the game that you had concerns about? Have they improved? You know, are they open to uh, advice and coaching? And those kind of things, I suppose, are part of how you you do come to your, your ultimate decision. I, I just think that there is obviously a willingness to improve on Rob Holding. If you if you'd have Rob Holding as the first choice player in that position last season, there's obviously a, a willingness from the club side to improve on him and have somebody well better playing it week in week out in that mm. position. And we have a centre back that we've spent a lot of money on that plays in that position. It's just a little bit weird if we're then trying to sign another one. And, I mean, I find it very hard to imagine we would sign a centre-back this summer and William Saliba would still go on to have a successful Arsenal career. So does that mean we're looking to sell him this Mm. summer already or loan him out again? What value is that to anybody if we were to loan him out again for another season? It's a really complicated one. And this is one of those situations where... I do think that the not having a manager who's in charge of everything is really, really useful. I think at a club with a with a real solid technical director, you say, well, look, this is the squad we've put together. These are the centre-backs that we think, or this is the centre-back that we think is going to be a star. Mm. Make it work, or at least you have to give him a try. And... The, the squad building then is is collaborative and you're told, right, we have a limited budget. We have three or four positions where we want to sign players and we have enough centre-backs. So, no, mm. we're not going to go and spend half of our budget on another centre-back. Look, I think that it's if Saliba is not in the plans for next season, he can't be in the plans in the long term. I just don't see how you can buy a player for £28 million, not use him for three seasons and then expect him to be happy and willing to be an Arsenal player you know yeah, three seasons as well I, I think, you know. because he was out on loan and, and that was agreed yeah. from the very beginning of the deal for that first season I, I think we all forget sometimes that this is actually coming up to the third year of William Saliba's Arsenal contract yeah 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 so look if he's not in the team next season I think that's it I think that's curtains so we'll wait and see uh, what happens there left back 
it, it's a difficult one. Um, you know, if Tierney stays fit, he plays pretty much every game. Uh, so it does it does prove a challenge to bring in a a backup, but it is important that we have a natural backup in that position. Yeah, we need someone. I, this is a really it's a complicated one and an easy one at the same time. Like it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be, you know, somebody who's as good as Kieran Tierney or a world beater by any stretch of the imagination. And then your options, I guess, are sort of a an older guy who's maybe happy to not play every single week. Ryan and, and Bertrand? To, well, yeah, like that's obviously the link. Um, or a younger guy who can, can, you know, you can sell him on that idea of two or three years down the line, you can compete with Tierney for his place. The problem with that, obviously, again, is the not having European football thing, like you've just said, with if Kieran Tierney's fit, Kieran Tierney will play every single minute for Arsenal next season. Mm. This is where I think personally, and if we're talking about having a smaller squad, this is where I do feel you need to use players out of position sometimes and in positions they don't like or in positions that we as fans would not choose to see them in. And you have to go into the season and maybe if you can't find that that left back who can play there and he's happy to play there four times a season, maybe you have to keep Ainsley Maitland-Niles and you have to tell Bakayo Saka and Maitland-Niles, it might happen that between yous, you'll have to play 15 games at left back this season. I, I, yeah. Maitland-Niles is, for me, is the perfect player for this situation. We're talking about a guy who can play and we've seen it, he can play in three positions. His preferred position is maybe not the one that he's best at and the one that where there's a regular Arsenal career for him in the future if they can convince him to stay and be a, a third a fourth a fifth choice midfielder the minutes that El Nenny got this season in midfield but then tell him you're going to have to play at left back or right back five six seven eight mm. times I think especially when we're talking about having a smaller squad and a squad that doesn't play every single week player like that becomes so much more valuable. What about the idea that you you have to look at someone like Maitland-Niles as uh, someone who can generate revenue this summer because of the experience he's gained on loan and everything else? And like the, the sort of stagnation to his Arsenal career in general? Yeah, I think... Or do we just have to get over that? Like. No, I, th- I think if, you know, if what does generate, what is the value that he can generate? Is I think that's the question with all of these players that, that we talk about. Yeah. That there are a number of players that, that we can talk about that we're sort of maybe a bit on the fence and we can, you know, Cedric, Bellerin, Nelson, I think we don't see them playing much for Arsenal next season. So the decision's quite easy. With the likes of Maitland-Niles, Jacker, Joe Willock, I think there are a lot of minutes for them at Arsenal next season. So the question becomes, well, then where's the boundary? You know, if someone yeah. offers six million for Maitland-Niles, then you laugh at it. If someone offers 15 million, then you have to take it really, really seriously, I think. Yeah. Midfield, we know Thomas Partey is going to be the linchpin, but he needs an experienced-ish partner alongside him particularly if Granit Xhaka leaves, Danny Ceballos is gone, um, you know, Lucas Torreira is probably going to go, Matteo Ganduzzi is probably going to go. We have this um, decision to make over Joe Willock as to whether we keep him as a player who I think could play in a couple of positions if we needed him to as well. He's got that sort of versatility. But um, is this the area which requires the greatest level of planning slash investment for you? Uh, I would say yes on investment because I think if Jacker is sold, it requires two midfielders, not just one. You know, we've just had a season where Thomas Partey was injured fairly regularly. Um, you, you have to plan in case that happens again. And if we were to sell Xhaka and sign one midfielder and mm. lose Thomas Partey for three months of the season then you're looking at sort of the new signing partnering Maitland-Niles or partnering El Elneny for maybe 15 games and 
I don't think anybody wants to see that. Uh, we're definitely going to have to be without party for all of January anyway. We'll know, yeah. I think, two weeks from now, two, less than three weeks now, we'll know what the fixtures are like. But we could be thrown Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham in January and then the, the entire complexion of how we all look at that month and the effing combinations changes a bit as well. I know people like um, Yves Basuma at, at Brighton, but... To, to sell Xhaka and replace him with Basuma for me would just be such a risk to then face up to an entire month without yeah. your first choice midfield what pairing. The- and I know people would, uh, I've, I've had this discussion yep, with people, I'm and sure. it, you sort of, you know, oh, well, do you not sign someone on a four year contract just because of one month that you might miss? One um, month can absolutely scupper your season. I think that's the first thing. One month can destroy your season. For me, it's not the fact that you'd be signing Basuma and he'd miss the month. It's the fact that Party's missing it as well. And if we were signing, you know, a centre-back, if we do go and sign a centre-back and say we get rid of Saliba this summer and we do sign a centre-back to take his place, Mm. and if it's a centre-back that will be at the, the African Cup of Nations, I won't bat an eyelid because Rob Holding's there. And that's what he's there for. We don't have those players in midfield. We have one of those players in midfield. It's Mohamed Elneny, who will also be at the African Cup of Nations. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you know, oh, of course, they might get knocked out and only be gone for two weeks. But they also might go the whole way. I mean, Thomas Partey's a pretty good player. Mohamed Elneny plays with Mohamed Salah. These guys could be there for the duration or almost mm. the duration of the tournament. And I think I think we've had these things before, obviously, with players at the club. I remember Alex Song was given permission by Cameroon, or we were given permission by Cameroon to keep him for longer uh, before the tournament in mm. the lead-up. I think when, FIFA, when teams call a player for a tournament... FIFA say that you have to release them two weeks before yeah. if, before the first game if the if the nation wants them for the first game and they want them for the for that sort of two week training camp. I'm pretty sure it was 2009, 10, and Alex Song stayed with us a little bit longer, and we had the permission from Cameroon to keep him from it for an extra week or so, so he could play the sort of Chris, Christmas fixtures. If we were to not get that permission from from Basuma, from Mali, if he were to play, I think he's not played for Mali for a couple of years, but if he were to go and play, if Party were gone, if Elneny, then you're looking at, like, you've sold Xhaka and you have no midfielders at the club. So I think we, if we sell, I think we have to sign a midfielder no matter what. And I think if Granite Xhaka stays, we still have to sign a midfielder, a midfielder who competes with Xhaka and can play with party or with Xhaka in case there's an injury. The, the other I, thing to sort of point out, just uh, um, to cut across you, sorry, is sure. that, you know, not only would those guys be going to the African Cup of Nations, but so would Aubameyang and so would Nicolas Pepe. So you're you're losing a huge core of what could be your first team. Yeah, it could be four of the first 11 if we have a sort of a settled 11 by that time of the yeah. season. Yeah, so uh, to lose one guy or two guys, I don't think you would worry too much. To lose four players who are going to be considerable members of the first team and and probably starting most games Mm. would be pretty huge. So I think it has to be taken into consideration if we were were to pursue Basuma now this summer. There are, you know, I, I I don't want to put myself out there. He might be... We maybe we sign him and he's fantastic, um, but I'm I'm going to say it anyway. I, we've seen Basuma because he plays for Brighton. There's you know nobody had watched this guy two years ago. There are a whole world of players out there that none of us have seen because they play in Belgium or they play in the Netherlands mm. or whatever or, or not even that they they play in France but for the team that finished eighth or ninth or tenth. Um, you know, I think another interesting player is Anguissa at Fulham, who was playing for Villarreal a couple of years ago. There are players all over Europe that aren't super expensive, that don't cam- come with these little asterisks as mm. well. So I, I think as as a fan base, this happens with Arsenal quite often. And it happened with, we obviously signed Thomas Partey, but it happened with him a little bit a year ago, where we were linked with a player and everybody likes him. And then we really latch onto that player like it's make or break. And <laughs> there isn't another midfielder in the world. There are loads. We've, we've just got to hope. And I know that's the hard part because of 
their track record over recent years but we've got to hope that the people at the club can find them yeah. um, well. if we don't sign Basuma it doesn't mean we can't sign a good midfielder there are a lot of them out there I think we were yesterday in, in Belgium linked with Anderlecht midfielder Lokonga who from what I've read and people that I trust uh, who, who you know watch Belgian football and, and really watch a lot of youth football it sounds like a great prospect um, and Obviously, then you maybe need to have a bit of patience when you sign a younger player. But those players are out there and we've got to hope that Arsenal, and if we're ever going to reach where we want to reach, we get better at finding them again. Yeah, that's true. And look, you know, I don't think we can, as a club, be uh, snobby in, in like thinking about a player like Basuma just because he's come onto our radar and he plays for Brighton. You know, I think in the past we've been a little bit guilty of going, well, if they play for a team below us in the Premier League, why would we want them? You know, and other clubs have shown that, you know, you can, for example, um, make a, a lot of hay out of players like that. The, I think the, the example that uh, hits me is, is Liverpool signing Sadio Mane, who I thought was a, you know, a good player at Southampton. But I didn't quite expect him to, to be as good as he was, you know. And they've, they look, look, their strategy was buy everyone from, from Southampton until we get some of the good ones. Um, but it really worked out in, in that sense. But I do agree with you that, you know, we, we have to hope that they can unearth. Like, I don't think there are any hidden gems anymore. You know, football is um, so open and players have such profile. You can get as m- so much information. Even the layman can get a heap of information about pretty much every player in the world right now, as long as they're playing at a reasonable level. So it's going to be difficult. But yeah, I think... I think maybe we might look for somebody um, that we're not uh, talking about at the moment, or it could be just Sander Burge. Um, so we'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll wait and see. And again, you, you know, you mentioned Liverpool and, and players who unexpectedly went on to do really well. And I think Sander Burge, it looks to, to me it, from Sheffield United, looks like a fine footballer, not you know nothing really special. But Liverpool went and signed um, Rinaldum from a relegated club, and yeah. he's, he's gone and sort of become a, a bit of a club cult hero I think now he's obviously left this summer but he's he went on and played a huge part in winning the Champions League and winning the league and that's it these players are out there and as a fan base I think it's important not to latch on to one individual player and and really really hope that we sign him there there are always alternatives I I do think if we sell Granit Xhaka we've got to sign two midfielders yeah I would agree with that and I think the one thing that you would say about Vinaldum is that he was a signing designed or, or um, you know, Liverpool saw him and said he fits into what we want our midfielders to do. Do you know what I mean? He was specifically designed to do that particular job. And, how, and he how came into a system. That? Yeah, well, that's it. This is what I mean. At the moment, we don't really, I mean, we sort of have an idea, but like, you know, Klopp's um, football and his system was a bit more obvious um, to us because we'd seen it for longer than Mikel Arteta's in various different contexts and and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, you could see how if you're Liverpool and you're saying, we need a player to do exactly this, who fits that profile? doesn't matter if he comes from a relegated club or not. For Arsenal, we're kind of going, well, someone a bit better than Xhaka. (laughs) And that's kind of where we're looking at this from. Whereas maybe, and hopefully... Um, I'm not trying to give them way too much credit, but the club are thinking about, well, we need a specific player to do a specific job um, in midfield for this team based on the way that we want them to play. A way which, of course, as I've said, is not clear or apparent to any of us at this moment in time. So, yeah, And who knows, maybe we, we just end up getting stuck with keeping Lucas Torreira because we can't find anybody to sign him. Mm-hmm. I think there are quite a few players, uh, and, and we've already mentioned a couple of them, who we could just end up with and then without getting rid of them, we choose not to sign someone. Yeah, I mean, that will play a part, I think, as well. There are going to be players that we want to move on and maybe we can't, um, which brings us to, you know, the forwards. Uh, there's one of those players I'm thinking of um, right now. I'm sure everybody is. And hopefully, uh, along with um, Cedric, for example, Willian is being made available to every club in the world, in the known universe and beyond, uh, because that's something we we got to move on from. But, you know, when you think about the attacking talent, Smith Rowe, 
Obama Yang, I think, is going to be our starting centre forward next season because I don't know that anyone is going to pay the money it would take for us to consider an offer. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's basically it. He's got two years left on a very lucrative deal. But we've got him, we've got Martinelli, we've got Saka, we've got Pepe. There is perhaps a need for somebody. Uh, I know Balagoon is coming up. We're, we're after Martin Odegaard. We're after some kind of attacking midfielder as well. Um, you know, whether it's Buendia or Odegaard, it remains to be seen. Um, so the, the one that I think is easiest, we've already spoken about Reese Nelson and Eddie Nketiah and how easy it is for that one. But the next one, I think, when you think logically about what the club needs to do is Lacazette. So some will say, well, how can you think about moving on our top scorer of the season? And you might answer, well, the top scorer in the season got us 17 goals. That's not anywhere near near enough for what your top scorer should get you. And I hear people saying, well, Aubameyang didn't get that. But, you know, I know... Um, I know the, the, the two situations are, are different um, for various reasons. Um, so is Lacazette the most obvious departure? And if Lacazette goes, is there a need to bring in another striker? Or do you feel like there's the depth there? Does does Foller and Balagoon sign a new Arsenal deal on the basis that he won't be playing for us next season and will go on loan somewhere? Or perhaps there might have been some assurances of of at least a place in the squad and, and competition and, and everything else? you, I think that Lacazette is the most obvious one because he's got one year left on his contract because Aubameyang is at the club and he's the captain and he's got his new contract already. For want of a better term, we're kind of stuck with him. I don't think we're stuck, stuck with Aubameyang because I, I still think personally that he's a striker that can easily go and score 15 or more goals next season. But you are sort of stuck with him, in inverted commas, because like you, I don't see anyone offering to, to take that contract off us and to give us a fee for him on top of it. Yeah, Lacazette has one year to go on his contract. It's He's 30 now, he's just turned 30, so this is the last big deal of his career. I would be surprised if there were no... Buyers, if there was no interest in him this summer, if we couldn't get rid of him, if we if we tried or if we wanted to, and then I think when you put together Lacazette and Ketia, and you think that that money maybe goes in the midfielder pot, and we all want a nice new midfielder, then to me it's it's just a sort of the next step in that logic is that that's what we do and we move them on. I think there's an inherent risk in going into next season then with Aubameyang, Martinelli, and Balogun. Obviously, if you lose Aubameyang for a little while, you're relying on Martinelli, who's inexperienced, who's missing the first month or so, or first few weeks, sorry, of the season with the Olympics, and has also never uh, played regular football at any level, any Mm. professional level. Uh, So to ask him to suddenly do that and carry that burden... It reminds me a little bit of when we were stuck with Andre Arshavin up front for a couple of months that winter, and... not that it was a you know not that it was a massive failure but it's just a bit of an unknown and and Balogun's the same i think they have surely shown him a route into to first team football to get him to sign that new contract but you do wonder how ready he is and if he can be thrown in at the deep end we, there's no knowing what we would get um mm. They obviously rate him very highly from what we've seen in the Europa League, the, the substitute appearances in the Europa League against admittedly poor opposition. He looked very good, but to throw him into Premier League football is a completely different um, matter altogether. So I, you do wonder if they can afford to go into next season with only Aubameyang as the recognised striker. At the same time, if it if that's what's needed for us to make the improvements we want in midfield and yeah. behind the striker as well, it's a risk that I would be willing for the club to take. But I would also completely understand if they wanted to, to try and sign a, a younger striker as well. Then you've got that problem of blocking Balogun's path again. Mm. Do you see any scenario in which Lacazette stays? I don't really see how that's sensible for a club, which, you know... Let's remember, we want this club to go and spend money, and they may well spend money. Um, there may be funds available. 
uh, via loans that the club, um, you know, are going to have to take on in order to 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 spend that money. Um, we may be able to spend money that we, uh, you know, that we generate from transfers. But as as uh, Nigel Phillips from the Arsenal Supporters Trust said to me during the week, very cleverly, smartly, because he knows about finances and things like that, Arsenal still owe a lot of money to other clubs for transfers we've made previously. Like the Partey one was done in one lump because it had to be done because it was a, um, you know, it was a release clause situation. But all the other transfers are still being paid off over the duration of these deals. So, you know, when you think about the money that we're spending, we have to take into account the, whatever it is, £40 million we're going to have to cough up on deals that we've already done. So with Lacazette, it seems to me that, like, you can have some concerns about not having experienced depth in the striker position, but you also have to be realistic about the money that you can bring in and to let a player who costs you £50 million to walk away for free when you might even generate £15 million for him it just doesn't make sense financially. You know, I know you have to separate the two things and find the balance between the financial and the, the needs of the team on the pitch, but I can't see any justification for just holding on to him in the hope that he might score, you know, another 15 goals, which is about average uh, to what he brings you in a season. I find it really hard to to justify that we would have, without Europe, Aubameyang and Lacazette both at the club next season. Mm. I, you know, we're talking about, as we said, this could be a team that plays 42, 43, 44 games. We've just spent half a season where everybody's out of their minds that Gabriel Martinelli isn't playing more often. And then to keep Aubameyang and Lacazette, I, I, I think it, it would be bordering on negligent. And I, it's not that, you know, Aubameyang's coming off a bad season and it's not about him or Lacazette so much for me. And I think Lacazette maybe does in some ways even fit Mikel Arteta's team better and and can do a little bit more of what Arteta wants from him. Uh, I don't think by any stretch of the imagination that that means Aubameyang is terrible at those things, but I think they suit Lacazette's game a little bit more. But we've got one player that, as we've already said, we probably can't get rid of. And we've got one player that for 10 or 12 or 15 million should be able to attract interest and offers. And we've not got space for both of them. Mm. Um, it does become, you know, a, a bit of a, just a situation where it doesn't mean that Aubameyang is definitely the better option than Lacazette. He's just the one that you can't get rid of in a way. Um, I also like think I say, he's I the better option though, for me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know <laughs> I know you do. Um, and I, I agree as well. I, I think a lot of people don't after the, especially after the season that we've just had. It's, you know, he's the player that we've relied on more than any other for a couple of years now. He's a little bit older than Lacazette, but this is the first Mm. blip in his Arsenal career, if you like, this season. And it goes hand in hand with the first time he's had a couple of knocks and he had the malaria and the situation with his mum being unwell. I think it was a bit of a a perfect storm this season Mm. for, for a bad season for Aubameyang to happen. I, I also think you have to take into his account uh, take into account his age and I don't think he's going to go and score 35 goals next season and I don't think he's the player he was when we signed him but I still would back him to score more goals than than Alex Lacazette and simply he's the one that would be much harder to get rid of as I say if that 15 million 12 million whatever it could end up being from Lacazette ends up going in the midfielder pot or the the number 10 pot or wherever it ends up going the first choice right back pot mm. If it's going to improve our first eleven, and if you're considering him as a player that's not going to be in the first eleven next season, and we're talking about a season without Europe, where hopefully more often than not we get the same eleven on the pitch, which we didn't get to do at all last year, then keeping the sort of backup striker when you have a couple of young alternatives for the position, it doesn't seem to make much sense when you can then use that money and use it to strengthen the, the play up with a player that will be on the pitch every week. Mm, I I agree. Um, finally, if you, I don't know if you've thought about this, but is there like one wild card thing you think the club might do this summer that 
um, nobody else has thought of. This is your chance to shine here. Is there or make a prediction <laughs> well, that you after think... We've just, after we've just said that we, we could <laughs> sign a player in every single position. <laughs> well... Um, uh, uh, they won't be making Granit Xhaka captain again. That's for sure. Um, I, I think the, the one thing that maybe we're not talking about, I, d- I do think they could sign a striker. Um, a, a striker between that Martinelli and uh, Aubameyang age, towards yeah. the younger end. I think in 12 months, if we're having this conversation, in 12 months, we'll be talking about Aubameyang won't be the first choice striker anymore. And I think they could sign the player that will be this summer. Okay. All right. Well, we will wait and see what happens. It's going to be a a very interesting, very busy summer. When we do make signings, we'll be talking about them on the podcast, of course, as well. And uh, we won't have as many preview podcasts next season, Lewis, but hopefully they're uh, all more successful than some of the ones we had last year as well. For now, though, we better leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Thank you very much indeed to Lewis. You can find him on Twitter at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. Of course, he writes the tactics pieces for us and does the preview podcast over on Patreon. And he'll be with us through the summer uh, discussing our transfer business as and when it happens. And from that discussion, I think you can tell that we have got a lot to do, a lot to do. Right. I am going to leave it there for this particular episode because, you know, We already did a lot, and uh, there's only so many hours in the day, and I'm kind of hungry now after the run and stuff, and I need to, I think I need to eat some chicken wings. So I'm going to go and cook some chicken wings, and then I'm going to eat them, which is pretty much how that shit is supposed to go down. So thank you, as always, for being here. Hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, your support, as always, is hugely appreciated. James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast Extra for you. Have yourselves a great weekend, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. It's the Nick Benner Show with me, Nick Benner, on Deadly. Hello there and welcome for the final time to the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner, the greatest striker that ever lived. You may have read reports of my retirement and they are correct. We am pulling away the shin pads, hanging up the boots letting down the man bun and putting away the underpants of the bookmakers who think they're much funnier than they actually are. 
Since the announcement, I have been inundated with messages from contemporaries and other strikers not as good as me who wanted to pay tribute to everything I have achieved in the game. And now, I would like to read some of them out to you. <coughs> Mick Benner, you truly were the greatest striker that ever lived. Pele. Dear Mick, wishing you all the best in your retirement. You were an idol to me. An idol. Aguero. Mick Benner, or El Jefe, as I like to call you. <laughs> Whenever I was feeling down or lacking confidence, I thought to myself... Messi. And the last one, Mick Meow Flower. We wore the same red and white shirt for many years, so what you did resonates with me even more. You will go down in legend, in folklore, and in history. Your name will live on forever. Henri. So, as you can see with testimony like that, my position as the greatest striker that ever lived is unquestionable. So, I'd just like to say thanks to Steve Pelle, Dave Aguero, Ted Messi, and Henri Lansbury. This is Mick Benner. Over and out. It's the Mick Benner Show with me, Mick Benner. I'm deadly. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.